0: So this is, uh, it's a great Sunday, we've been working, partnering with Compassion for a couple of years now, Um, been four years, is it four years, don't the years fly by, and um, it's a great privilege for me to welcome, Tim will be known to many of you, Tim Robertson, Um, I've known Tim for probably getting on for 30 years ago, Um, when I said that earlier he said when we were both six, so... That probably is a measure of the man. Um, So let's give him a big warm hand, Tim, from Compassion. It's great to have you with us, Tim, this morning. Thank you, Steve. Well, good morning, church. You doing well? Great to see you. Great to see some of the team from Rwanda last week. Uh, I've got some stories to tell, so if you want to come and see me afterwards. Then, uh, I can share all kinds of things. You know, no, what goes on tour stays on tour, doesn't it? so. Uh, I will spare them the embarrassment. But we had a phenomenal time, and I was so glad that they were able to see uh, what you as a church are doing and the hope that you are bringing uh, to these communities out there in Rwanda. We had some amazing adventures. We saw some beautiful scenery. We met some inspiring people. We saw some very, very challenging circumstances. But, you know, God is at work in that place, and uh, I love Rwanda. I've been quite a number of times to Rwanda. Uh, It has a special place in my heart because 29 years ago, my wife and I started to sponsor a child in Rwanda. We sponsored a little girl who was uh, three at the time uh, when she came onto the program, and her name was Nereri, and we sponsored her for four years. And then there was a terrible time in Rwanda 25 years ago uh, when there was genocide, and uh, nearly a million people were killed in the space of three months, it was a terrible time in that nation, and it 's incredible how uh, there 's been so much reconciliation and, and forgiveness across that nation and You see how God has moved across Rwanda uh, before uh, that genocide. There were eleven thousand children being sponsored by compassion uh, after the genocide, there were only five thousand remaining and Uh, sadly Nereri was one of those children that were taken at that time and so broke our hearts, breaks my heart every time I go back and uh, to think of what happened and but you know the word says that unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies it will remain alone and yet it will produce many many other seeds as well and my belief and my hope is that Uh, we will see many, many more children released from poverty in Jesus' name. Can I tell you that today, just over 100,000 children are being sponsored in Rwanda through the work of Compassion and the work of the local church, which is pretty cool, isn't it? Uh, For those of you who don't know too much about Compassion, maybe you've only just joined the church recently, Compassion's been going for well over 65 years. Excuse me, let me just take a, a drink there. Over 65 years and... In that time, a million children have gone through our programs and currently 2 million kids are registered on over 7,000 projects in 25 nations in three continents. Uh, And you will have seen up on the statistics there that uh, some of those countries, and I think different folks from this church are sponsoring children across seven countries, but particularly in Rwanda. If you don't uh, see your country up there and you do sponsor through Compassion, talk to the the guys at the stand afterwards and we can link your sponsorship to Hope Church. Uh, but um, our values are, are, are really that Christ is at the center. Uh, he's, it's all about him. We're releasing children from poverty in Jesus' name. We don't just want to make children's lives more comfortable. We want to give them a hope in God. We want to introduce them to the Savior. We want them to know Jesus, who can change their life from the inside out. And uh, last year, 158,000 kids gave their lives to Christ. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? And uh, yeah, 5,000 caregivers as well. So you see, uh, local communities are coming to Christ. The church is growing. The kingdom of God is being established. It's amazing. But it's child-focused, And it's church-based. We only work with and through the local church. And the the team saw two churches that are working, that every project has a church that oversees it, and we had a great time at the churches. This time last week, I was preaching in the church uh, there at, um, uh, I can't remember the the name of the place, but uh, we had an amazing time there. We saw three people come to Christ. Loads of people came forward for healing. The team were all involved in that. And the church is growing in that community. It's absolutely amazing. Thank you for what you are doing in investing in these communities. Thank you for that intervention. That was a considerable amount amount of money. And it's done so much. And it really is transforming the lives of these children. So thank you uh, for all that you're doing. If you have a Bible, just turn to Micah chapter 6. Micah chapter 6. If I asked you the question, what is poverty, we get lots of different answers. Some would say it's a lack of money. Some would say it's a lack of shelter, a lack of clothing or nutritious food. It's all of those things, but they're consequences of a deeper thing. You see, from the perspective of the poor, uh, poverty is this. It's a feeling of being disempowered. It's a feeling of being marginalized, having no voice, no option. Uh, You see... The opposite to poverty isn't that suddenly that they get wealthy. The opposite to poverty is justice. And people need justice around the world, but so many lack justice in their lives. We see people who lack justice here in Winchester, But right around the world, we see people who are on the wrong side of of justice. And and as a result, uh, their their lives are impacted in so many different ways. And I want to talk a bit about justice this morning. If you've got that Bible open at Micah chapter 6, uh, it's verse 8, and it says this He has showed you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly. Before your God, with your God. He has showed you a man what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Let's just take a moment to pray, shall we? Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this church. Thank you for this time of gathering. Thank you that we sent you here in the midst of us. Thank you, Jesus, that we can declare your name this morning, the name that is higher than any other name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. We pray, Lord, that this morning... The, uh, the, uh, our hearts would bow before you. Our lives would be bowed before you, Jesus. If there's anyone that doesn't know you, Lord, that today will be the day that they bow the knee before Jesus and surrender their life to him. Lord, I pray that you will speak to us um, from this scripture and uh, the things that I share this morning. Lord, would you move on hearts and minds today, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. He has showed you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. You know, God is a God of justice, isn't he? Uh, you see the justice of God right through Genesis to Revelation. Uh, the, that righteous heart of God is revealed. He's the God who in Israel's history set up social structures in place that made sure that the poor were looked after and given rights. However, as time went on, God's people kind of disobeyed his laws, violated and abused his laws. And that's why in Isaiah 58, uh, God comes to the so-called righteous, to the church of that time, and challenges them about their exploitation of the poor. Is not this the kind of fast that I have declared, says the Lord. You know, and he challenges them about their abuse and exploitation, how they climb over the backs of uh, the poor and their workers to gain more for themselves because they're greedy, and yet they mask it all with ceremonies and prayers and fasting and everything, and God says, the kind of fast that I desire is to loose the chains of injustice, to set the captives free, to give food to the hungry, shelter to the homeless, and not to send the stranger away. Then your light will rise, then your healing will come. Uh, So he's saying you've got to understand the process, you've got to understand what makes me passionate, what makes me angry. Uh, and then you've got to understand that when you get those things right, then I can bless you in a way that you couldn't even understand before. And so God challenges the church and disciplines the church in this way. Now rewind to the story of Ruth and Boaz in uh, the Bible. Ruth is poor. You remember the story? You've read the story of Ruth, yeah? Ruth is poor. She is homeless. She's widowed, and she's caring for an elderly relative who is not even her own flesh. And she's in a land far away from home. What a situation this woman finds herself in. What a a hopeless, desperate set of circumstances she's in. Uh, But because of the social justice laws that are in place in Israel, She comes to a place, uh, to uh, a farmer's land, and because of these laws, she is able to glean some of the harvest from the corners and from the edges of the fields. That's what God said to his people in Deuteronomy 24, when you gather your harvest, do not gather from the corners, but leave it for the poor, the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow. So, This is set up in place to protect the poor, to give them rights, to give them hope, to give them, to show them mercy. So Ruth, who is in this desperate situation, is able to uh, uh, partake of some of this this blessing. Uh, So she's able to receive mercy. But not just that, she is able to find justice because the landowner, his name is Boaz, okay, he, uh, uh, well, you know what happens, they become kind of attracted to each other, don't they? But he takes on her cause, and he doesn't just show her mercy, but he shows her justice as well, because he's able to, to defend her cause, to stand up for her rights at the city gate with the elders, and he reminds them of the land that should be hers, and he's able to win that back for her. He speaks out on behalf of this person who has found uh, uh, the difficulties and the challenges of life. Okay? Thank you for what you do when you invest in a child. Thank you for the mercy that you are showing, for the gifts that you are giving, the opportunity for a child to go to school, to be able to have adequate health care, to understand more about life and education and to know more about Jesus. Thank you for the mercy that you are showing. Thank you for the mercy in terms of intervention, toilets and classrooms and, and filling in dangerous ditches and dealing with drainage and all that kind of stuff. Thank you for the mercy that you're showing. Thank you, too, that you are standing up, you are speaking out, you are defending the cause of the poor and the needy. You are showing justice to them, and you are making a noise about it so that others might hear and get involved in this great cause as well. So he defends her cause, but not just that, she finds love and relationship. Because uh, they, they get together and they're married and uh, you know the rest of the story. So Boaz doesn't just share a corner of his field, but he shares the corner of his cloak. Those of you that know the story. She says, put your, your, the corner of your mantle over me to keep me warm. And, and he does that and he extends that love and that sense of relationship to her, uh, to Ruth to keep her warm. Can I tell you that the poor need a friend, they need relationship. It's not just about giving them food to to eat and and a hope for the future. They love the relationship that you have with them. The team will testify to the fact that uh, those letters mean so much to them. Your prayers mean so much to them. This is about relationship that you have with these kids and uh, consequently their families as well. You're making a difference into their lives. Thank you for being a friend. To the poor, to speak up for them, to defend their cause and to walk the journey with them. And in a few minutes I'm going to ask maybe if there'll be some who would be willing today to extend a, a little bit of what you have, to share a little bit of who you are and what you have, at least a corner of who you are with the poor. Now in Micah chapter 6 verse 8, we've read it a few times already, he has showed you a man what is good, what does the Lord require of you to act justly, to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. You see, what God wants is for this to be a lifestyle, not just a... Uh, a, a, an act, a random act of kindness. I love random acts of kindness. You hear a lot about random acts of kindness in social media. Somebody takes a video of somebody doing something kind for a, a homeless person in the street, and it goes viral, and everybody likes it, loves it, comments on it, tags somebody else in it, and says, wow, isn't this wonderful? And we, It's heartwarming stuff, these random acts of kindness. Can I tell you, church, we are called to a lifestyle of kindness. We're called to a lifestyle of justice justice. We're called to a lifestyle of sharing and showing mercy to those around us. God has saved us. And why has he saved us? Not just so that we have a destination, but that we have a destiny, a, 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 an opportunity, a purpose here in life to make a difference to the world around us. As you look at God's instruction here in Micah 6 verse 8, you can only really act justly if you are walking humbly. In other words, you can only do the first part of the verse verse, if you're doing the last part of the verse, walking humbly. When you're walking humbly, then you start showing uh, mercy and acting justly. When you walk in humility, it means that uh, you leave pride behind and your attitude to other people is one of love, and grace and a recognition that I am not better, that I'm not more worthy, that I'm not more important or valuable or entitled than anyone else. And when we have that revelation, it will cause us to live a justice lifestyle because we see that we're not better than anybody else, that we have a responsibility to others. We will not be able to help but get angry about the way people are treated or marginalized because of their postcode, their color, their circumstances or their condition. Instead, it will cause us to reach out with kindness, with mercy, with love, with grace uh, into the lives of those people. That's what Boaz did in that situation. Can I tell you that Ruth's situation was one of uh, desperation, she was poor, she was widowed. She had no home, she had uh, no real identity. She was hopeless and she didn't know what to do. And if you read the first two chapters of, of that little book in, uh, in the Old Testament of Ruth, you'll, you'll see how, uh, how, how bad her, her situation and her life was. But then the second two chapters are all about hope and change and transformation. Can I tell you, right in the center... There is a saviour, there is a man called Boaz, and uh, down through uh, their descendants in time to come, you will find that there is Jesus. He was, uh, you know, their their descendant, and he was the saviour, and here's Boaz and Ruth coming together, and Boaz was the saviour that was at the centre of her situation. Can I tell you this morning that you may be in a desperate situation? You may be in a hopeless situation, you may feel that life has been tough, you may be feeling that you're far away from God, you may feel lonely, you may feel marginalized, you may feel that you're on the wrong side of justice, you may feel that your life has got messed up and you don't know what to do about it, Uh, but I want to tell you that there is a future for you, that there is a hope for you, that the end uh, result of your story here on earth can be far better than you've ever thought. Why? Because there is a safe in the middle who wants to deal with all that stuff from the past and he wants to bring you into a place of hope and transformation and life. If you don't know Jesus today, here's a good place to find him. This is a good time to discover Jesus because he is the savior in the middle of your story and he wants to take you further into a relationship with him where you can discover all God's blessings and his love for you and everything that he wants for you. He has shown you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you to act justly, to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. We need to humble ourselves. God's called us to serve others. Jesus came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. We need to humble ourselves and not look down on others but to recognize that maybe God has put us in this situation, in this context for such a time as this. Was saying to the team last week that, you know, in many ways it's a postcode lottery. We didn't ask to be born here. Neither did they in Rwanda ask to be born there. But that's the way it worked out. And because we happen to be in better circumstances, it means we have a greater responsibility on our lives to share with others around the world. Let's not look down on people. Let's raise other people up. And let's give others hope in this world. Let me tell you a story about how God had to deal with me and my heart many years ago. Thirty years ago, just over thirty years ago, I went to Africa for the first time. I went with Tony. You remember Tony, uh, Steve, and. Uh, we went to, we did all kinds of mission stuff. I was a young pastor. I was going to take Africa by storm, you know, move over Reinhard Bonnke, you know, Tim Robertson was coming and uh, a lot of bravado, a lot of arrogance and all of that stuff. And uh, I kind of got there. And one of the first things that we did was to go into this hospital. We were in Zambia Uh, and to pray for, for those who were ill. And we went to this place and it, It lacked resources. It lacked hygiene. It lacked good sanitation. The smell was horrible. And suddenly I felt out of my depth. Culture shock set in uh, and all my bravado went out of the window. I was out of my comfort zone. But as we went around praying for the sick, you know, I, I was happy to pray but not get too close because there were all kinds of, uh, you know, nasty germs and diseases and infections there. And, and I wanted to kind of just stay back here and, you know, shout hallelujah from the back there. And, uh, but, you know, uh, God was about to do something in me. You see, we went around a few wards and then we came to a small room. And uh, as we went into this room, they're lying on a very thin, soiled mattress was a guy whose body was absolutely wasted away. The root cause was uh, HIV-AIDS. When I heard what was wrong, I didn't just recoil physically, but I recoiled in every other way as well. I'm not proud to say this, church, but I was... I was disgusted, I was, there was judgmentalism in me, there was disapproval, and there was fear that rose up in me, fear because we're very often afraid of the things that we don't really understand. You see, it was 1988, and AIDS was prevalent, wasn't it? Not just in Africa but globally now and, and, and we didn't really understand it and, and there was a lot of fear surrounding it. Uh, was it an airborne disease? Was it uh, communicable by touch or was it just amongst the homosexual community or we're reaching into the heterosexual community as well? And as these thoughts are going through my mind and uh, I was full of fear and not wanting to get too close, suddenly the pastor from the church that had taken us into the hospital said. We need to help this man. We need to change his sheets. And then he asked me to lift him up while the team dealt with that business. That meant that I had to touch this man. What was I going to do? Everything in me screamed, no, I don't want to get involved. But you know what? God was giving me an opportunity to discover his heart of compassion. I understand... Why he did that now? At that time, everyone was was wearing wristbands, weren't they, with WWJD on there. Uh, I always thought that stood for who was Jason Donovan, but apparently it stood for <laughs> what would Jesus do? And, uh, and I began to think, what would Jesus do in this situation? And, and there's, I'm there in this difficult situation, wrestling with what was, what was going on before me. And uh, I, I, I suddenly thought of the lepers that Jesus Touched and everybody else crossed the road, but Jesus is there touching the leper. I thought of uh, the young man who had who died and was in his coffin, and, and Jesus touches the coffin, which was seen as terrible in the eyes of the Pharisees and everything. And, and there Jesus is getting involved with, with those who had disease and sickness and illness and all kinds of stuff. And I was consumed with compassion. And so I got involved. Was I scared? Of course I was. But there was something in me compelling me. And as I lifted this man up who was just skin and bone, he whispered into my ear, God must love me very much because he sent a man from another country to help me. Whoa. Whoa. Was I afraid? Yes. I still went and scrubbed my hands raw afterwards. But you know what? Now I understood the lengths. That God will go to break our hearts for the lost and for the dying and the despised and the unlovely. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. I'm, I'm quick to anger. I was quick to make a judgment. I was quick to show my disapproval, but church, our God is a God of love. He's a God of grace to God of holiness too. And, and we've got to understand that journey, haven't we, of course. But God loves people. God so loved the world. And the people that we write off and the people that we look down on, God loves with such an everlasting love. And he says, you're welcome. You're welcome. You're so welcome to come to me. Let's understand the heart of God. You know, the fact that we have received justice and mercy and grace in our own lives, should not just create a sense of desire to extend that to others, but give us a responsibility to do that. We're called to demonstrate the heart of God uh, and to be his people here on earth, the hands and feet of Jesus. Jesus said, freely you have received, now freely give. And that comes out of a heart of compassion, doesn't it? You know, the word compassion uh, is used 12 times in the New Testament, once in describing the Good Samaritan's response uh, to the guy on the road, uh, twice in referring to God's compassion and nine are attributable to, to the way Jesus was and how he operated. Now, the word translated in the original Greek is a word called splagnizomai. It's a great word, isn't it? Go on, just say it to your neighbor, Splagnitsamai. Go on, have a go, splagnizomai. I did that just so I could have a drink of water. Spalagnizomai, it's a great meaning word and it means this, it means to be moved in the bowels. Can I tell you last week there were one or two that understood the reality <laughs> of what I've just said out there in Africa, but it seems to be moved in the bowels, deemed to be the source of love and pity. You see, the bowels or the intestines seem to be quite a graphic word in describing God's compassion, don't they? But it's almost like us saying of someone who did something brave, that took guts. It came from deep within, okay? Uh, but you know, compassion is much more than pity. You see, pity can move you for a moment, but compassion puts arms and legs and hands and feet upon pity. It does something about how you're feeling. It goes the whole distance, okay? That's what the good Samaritan did. He he went to the man and he poured on oil and wine then he put him on his donkey and he takes him to an inn and he pays the money for this guy uh, to be looked after uh, until he uh, is made whole again. Compassion. If you break the word down, you have two words, com and passion. Passion refers to the passion of Jesus, the anguish and the sorrow, the pain, the brokenness. We particularly remember that as he leads up to his death uh, there in Gethsemane and through that week. And and then when you accompany that little word com, uh, which means with, uh, you accompany that with passion, okay? Uh, You get compassion. It means that when you have compassion... It means you are sharing with Jesus in his sufferings. It means you are moved to act. It brings all these things together. You start identifying with Jesus in his suffering. Romans 8 says if you want to share in his glory, you have to share in his sufferings. We don't want that, do we? We want to share in the glory of the Lord, but we don't always want to identify with him in his sufferings. And when we do that, though, then we understand much more the greatness of his love towards us. Compassion, it brings all these other words together, justice and mercy and grace and love. See, when you see, uh, when Jesus sees the broken and the last and the least and the lost, he has compassion. Compassion. Can I tell you today that we need compassion for our world. We need compassion for those outside of these doors. We need compassion for those in Rwanda and wherever else it is uh, that you as a church may work. Today, 17,000 children will die of easily preventable causes, 17,000 kids. Nearly a billion people will go to bed hungry tonight. 800 million people don't have access to safe, clean water. 2.4 billion people don't have access to a safe place to go to the toilet. Safe? Yes. It has to be safe because so many people are going into very vulnerable situations, both to get water or to, get, uh, to, to go to the toilet. And there they're subject to abuse, to uh, robbery, to rape, to violence, to murder. That's just the basic things of life, and and yet it spirals out of control uh, when you're living in poverty. The list goes on. Church, we need his compassion flowing through our lives so that when we see broken humanity, it causes us to respond rather than to retreat, to open our eyes in faith rather than to close our eyes in fear. Archbishop Desmond Tutu said this, to be neutral in a situation of injustice is to have chosen sides already. It is to support the status quo. We have to speak up. We have to do something about the situations that we see. In Jeremiah 22, verse 15 to 16, it says of King Josiah, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, and all went well with him. He defended the cause of the poor and the needy, and so all went well. And then God says this, is that not what it means to know me, says the Lord? Is that not what it means to know me? We used to sing a song years ago, the greatest thing in all my life is knowing you and we get lost in wonder, love and praise. And that's a way of knowing Jesus. But maybe another way is is listening to his voice and he may be saying, hey, I'm over here with the poor and the marginalized. I'm over here with the disenfranchised and the least and the lonely and the lost. Come and share my heart here. And that's how we get to know Jesus because he wants us to know him in every part of his being. Today, will you share a corner of what you have, of who you are? Will you share something of the much that you have received and use it to bring a hope and a future to someone who most likely will turn it around and bring a hope and a future to someone else? In a moment, I'm going to ask you to do just that. But right now, I wonder if we could just watch the screen. We're going to show a little video. This is... Uh, four of our graduates who've come through the program and they came from zero to hero. They came from lost to being found. And right in the middle, there was a savior who brought about transformation in their life. Watch the screen. I wonder, can we just stand to our feet this morning in the presence of God? And if you're comfortable to do this, just as we come to a close... I wonder if you just lay a hand upon your head we're praying this God renew our minds give us a fresh revelation of who you are of who we are and the value of others Lord forgive us when perhaps we've put down others we've thought badly of others pride has risen up in us Lord and We thought of ourselves more entitled or better. Forgive us, renew our minds, we pray. Renew our minds. Let me just lay your hand on your heart. Jesus, will you break our hearts for what breaks yours? Everything I am for your kingdom cause. Break our hearts today, Lord. Enlarge our hearts with a greater capacity to love others, to show mercy and kindness and mercy and grace to others, Father. Let's lift our hands, take these hands, use them to reach out, bring healing, comfort, to write checks, to write letters, to hold the hands of the poor, Connect them with the hands of Jesus. Holy Spirit, we need you. Fill our lives, fill our hearts with compassion. We pray. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Soften hard hearts today. Thank you, Jesus. God may be dealing with you in different ways this morning and you need to respond as the Holy Spirit says to you. Maybe it's about getting your attitude to wealth into a better place. We live in a consumer world, don't we? And maybe it's just saying, no, I need to rethink my values. Maybe I need to live simply so that others can simply live. Maybe it's about being more grateful and having more thanksgiving in our lives rather than moaning and groaning and complaining, but thanking God for all that we have. Maybe this morning God is saying to get involved in something, a ministry in the life of the church, working uh, in that sense of justice and reaching out with hope and love. Maybe it's to sponsor a child. There's a little boy called Bianto. It means see you soon. That little boy is already benefiting from... Passions Ministry, there on the project. But he needs a sponsor, he needs a friend, someone who will show mercy and justice and love into his little life. Maybe you could be the one who says, hey, see you soon, Bianca, see you soon, I'm going to be your friend. I'm going to be writing to you very soon. You've got a friend in me today. Our team are going to be on the back there in the table, and there's other children as well. For £25 a month, That's A couple of visits to Starbucks, it's a a muffin, It's it's a caramel latte a few times, it's just a few quid to some, to others, maybe you need to get together with somebody else, there were five women who sponsored one guy and look what he's doing now on that video, incredible. So we leave that up to you. But thank you so much for having a heart that's open to listen to what God says and causes you walk in obedience to him. May God bless you this morning. Thank you so much for listening.